Several years ago, I was preaching in Southern California, and uh, after I had preached in the church, the young pastor came up and he said, Dr. Says, that was an awesome message. Uh, we went from that uh, service to the restaurant called In and Out, best hamburgers in the world. If you haven't been to California and had In and Out, uh, you haven't lived, okay? But uh, anyway, we were eating that hamburger, and this young preacher said, Brother Sis, this hamburger is awesome. And I thought, yeah, about like my sermon, amen. <laughs> uh, awesome is, is kind of a new word, I guess, okay? Uh, by the way, in our King James Bible, the word awesome uh, does not appear one time. Now, in some of the later editions, uh, uh, revisions and so forth, it appears several times, but uh, in our King James Bible, the word awesome. And rather than using the word awesome tonight, and the passage we've read talks about the amazing grace of God. Instead of awesome, it's amazing. Amazing indeed. Look at verse 1 and 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead. Hey, by the way, you weren't in bad shape. You weren't bad off. You were dead. Absolutely dead, okay? And here's what we did. We're in in time past. You walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Uh, that was our condition before we were saved by the amazing grace of God. And by the way, the Bible tells us that where sin did abound, Romans, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Where sin existed in an abundance, and I think we would all agree, there is more than an abundance of sin in the world, amen? But the good news is, where sin did abound, where sin existed in an abundance, the grace of God exists in a super abundance. Amen. Let me give you a couple of stories that Show us the grace of God. When I was the associate pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in Harvey, we would go to the Pacific Garden Missions occasionally, pass out tracts. My pastor preached there a few times. And uh, it's a very cold place. The, lake, the wind blowing off of Lake Michigan is, feels like ice. And I'd be passing out tracks, and I'd think, uh, I'm, I'm going in where it's warm. And then many times I, I would think about Mel Trotter. Mel Trotter, a drunkard. Uh, Mel Trotter, who went home one night after spending all of his money on wine and so forth, and found his little daughter frozen to death. No heat in the house. He started toward Lake Michigan to jump in the wintertime, commit suicide. 
But somebody pulled him into the old Pacific Garden Mission. And he heard the gospel and he got saved. Now, the gospel can sober you up in a hurry, amen? He got saved, and uh, after he got saved, he was an amazing man of God and helped to start rescue missions all over America. I think of another man, and you know the name, John Newton. John Newton's mother died when he was a young boy. At 16 years old, he got on a ship and started to travel the world. And at one time, he became a slave trader, and actually at one time, he was enslaved himself. Had no time for God, all kind of wicked, wicked things that he did. And one night, there was a big storm. And during the midst of that storm, that ship rocking from one side to the other, he looked in his trunk, and he found his mother's Bible. And he began to read the Bible in verses that his mother had in the flyleaf of the Bible. And he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Uh, he, he went back to England. And uh, by the way, he was one of the primary reasons that slavery was outlawed. So he went from a slave trader to someone that tried to get slavery to be illegal. And after he got saved, he wrote a wonderful song. And everybody here tonight knows that song. Amazing Grace. Let's sing one verse, okay? Sing with me real loud so you won't hear me, okay? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I see was blind, but now I see. I'll never forget when we had a European field conference in England, going to the church where John Newton pastored, going out to his graveside, and me leading that group of people that was with us, his song, Amazing Grace. I was born on May the 30th, uh, 1933, back in the Dark Ages. Is there anybody here tonight that was alive in 1933? Let, let me look. I, I don't think there is. All right, if, if there is, they won't admit it, okay? Maybe there's one or two. And uh, my dad was a coal miner. Uh, he worked very hard all week. But every weekend, he got drunk. And when he got drunk, he, he was miserable to be around. I mean, horrible, horrible. The rest of the week, as kind, gracious as you could think of anybody to be. But he did bad things to my mother and some of the kids and so forth. I was 16 years old. I had no purpose for life. 
uh, I used to lay in my bed many times and think, uh, if I died tonight, I'd die, and I'd go to hell. I'd been to church enough to know that there was a heaven, there was a hell. I heard an old-fashioned Methodist preacher preach on the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ, and I knew that he died for my sin. I knew that I was a sinner. And one day in a geometry class, my friend, Bill Welch, said, Don, I want you to come and be my guest on Saturday night at a Youth for Christ meeting. And uh, Bill was a good friend, and I didn't have any money. I didn't have a car. didn't have anything to do. And I said, okay, Bill, I'll go. And, and then I got to thinking about that, Youth for Christ. And I thought, okay, youth, I, I can fit that. I'm 16 years old. And, and I know some of you look like me. Brother Sis, you've never been young. But I've got pictures to prove it, okay? And I tried to find an excuse for not going. Now, it had to be the Holy Spirit of God. But I woke up on Saturday morning, and I thought, I'm not going to look for an excuse for not going. I'm hopeless. I don't have any reason for living. My home life is a mess. Everything about me is a mess. And I don't know what they do when they sing that song and people go forward, but whatever they do, I'm going to do that tonight. And I went to church for the purpose of getting saved. I have no idea what the preacher preached about. All I wanted him to do was stop preaching so I could go forward and get saved. And like all preachers, eventually he stopped, okay? And he gave the invitation. And when he did, I started down the aisle. Didn't wait for anything else. A Baptist preacher followed me down the aisle. He and I bowed in the front of that church. And we, we, he went over some verses and so forth. And I knew what he was talking about. I was a sinner. If I died in my sin, I'd go to hell. But if Jesus died, had died on the cross and he paid for my sin debt, he told me those things. And that night, I bowed my head and in simple childlike faith, trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, I did not see any lights flashing. I didn't feel, feel any liquid love running up and down my spine. <laughs> okay. But when I got up that night, I had a peace in my heart I'd never known before. Amen. Now you think about it. I went to church that night on my way to hell. I went home on my way to heaven. Uh, I went to church that night. I had physical life, but I did not have any spiritual life. But I went home. I lay on the same bed. I laid on night after night hoping I don't die. If I died, I'd go to hell. And I laid on that bed that night, and all I could think about was, if I die tonight, I'll go to heaven. Amen. And by the way, that's 73 years ago. I'll never forget the first wonderful thought I had. I'm saved. I'm saved, and uh, I don't have to go to hell. I can go to heaven. I'm saved. Good. Sunday morning, I woke up, and by the way, I realized I, I didn't know these terminology and so forth, but the first thought I had, not I'm going to play basketball. I love that. Not, I'm going swimming, I'm going hiking, you know, whatever. No, I'm going to sleep. No. I thought, I'm going to church. And I went to church. And guess what? That church had totally changed. 
The singing was good. I'd never enjoyed it before. The preaching even was good. It was interesting. In other words, and I can't, couldn't, I thought, this church has changed. It hadn't. I had changed. I now had spiritual life. What a wonderful thing salvation is. Amen. The grace of God. I'll never forget going to geometry class again, 8.30 Monday morning. And every question that Mrs. Gladys asked, I knew the answer. And I remember her saying, Don, you seem to be extremely bright today. And I thought, man, getting saved makes you smarter. Now, I'm not promising straight A's if you get saved, okay? But it'll make you smart. And I had friend after friend that told me, I've been praying for you, I've been praying for you. The night I got saved, I had two wonderful thoughts. Number one, this is wonderful. By the way, it's still wonderful. My next thought was, I wish my dad was saved. I wish my dad was saved. Never seen him in church in my life. One time at a funeral, I'm sorry. And years later, they had moved up to northern Indiana. Virginia and I got married. We moved up here, joined the Black Oak Baptist Church. We was going to have a revival meeting. And uh, we had two weeks of cottage prayer meetings. And I went every night. We had every night except Wednesday night and Sunday night, of course, when we went to church. And I remember us meeting together Monday night, making a prayer list. All of us got down on our knees and prayed for about an hour. I said, please pray for my dad. He's 57 years old. I've never seen him in church, but one time at a funeral. And uh, all week long, the longer that prayer meeting went, day after day, the more burden I got from my dad and nothing meant anything to me except the fact that my dad is lost and going to hell. Monday morning, I went going to work. Stopped by my mom and dad's house trader. Now, remember, I'd been praying all week. I'd been believing God. But I said, uh, Papa, I sure wish you'd go with us to church tonight. I'm going to come by and pick Mama up. She's going. And I sure wish you'd go to church with us one night. And he shocked me to death. He said, we've been thinking about that. And I told you, Mama, today, I'm going. Now, I went to work that day. I prayed. I worked all day. I did. I made court. But, but I prayed all day. Got home that night. Virginia and I got down on our knees and prayed before we went. Went to the trade out, picked him up. Had prayer meeting in the basement of the church that night with some men. Brother Johnny Robinson, evangelist from Kentucky, came and preached for us. And that night he preached a wonderful gospel message. And it's a good thing he did. If he'd have pussyfooted around, I'd have shot him, Amen. But he didn't. He preached a wonderful gospel message at the invitation. I just put my arm around my dad and I said, Papa, I've been praying for you for a long time. I'd sure like to see you saved. And he said, Son, I won't get saved. (laughs) Hey, God is real. Amen. Hey, by the way, young people, you you were saved when you were six years old, eight years old. Don't worry about that. Your salvation was just as real as any of those, okay? The amazing grace of God. Listen to it. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. You looked at that verse in your Bible, Romans chapter 5. And aren't you glad for that little prefix, you in? Because if he would have said Christ died for the godly, that wouldn't have been any of us, okay? <laughs> that he died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man would die, when one would die. But preadventure for a good man, some would even die, dare to die. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Glory to God. What a wonderful gospel. A verse I've used and many of you have used hundreds and hundreds of times. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But, and aren't we glad for that conjunction. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's grace, and that's mercy. Look at the first part of it. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Mercy is God keeping from us that which we deserve. Have you ever heard people, and you have, I'm sure, people make the dumb statement, all I want is what I deserve. And every time I hear that, I look at them and say, no, you don't either. I don't want what I deserve, and you don't want what you deserve. We need mercy. And mercy is God keeping from us that which we deserve. But grace is God, keeping, is God giving to us what we do not deserve and could not possibly deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not something you buy. Not something you work for. It's something you receive. He came into his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. The amazing grace of God. Now think with me secondly about God's amazing plan. God's amazing plan. Just before Jesus Christ breathed his last breath before his death, this is the word that he spoke. In the Greek, it's just one word, tetelestai. In our English Bible, it's the word, it is finished. What's finished? I have done everything my Father sent me to this earth to do. I have paid the price of redemption. I have suffered and bled and died. I've been buried and I've been resurrected from the grave. Everything that needs to be done, I did on Calvary. I paid your sin debt. I paid. It's paid in full, praise the Lord. What a wonderful thought. Then he was resurrected from the grave. Uh, 
Sunday morning after the death of Christ, some ladies got together and thought, we better go anoint his body. They had all kinds of spices and so forth. And you know, Dr. Wilkerson, uh, I've, I've studied so many times, I thought, why did they think that was necessary? I mean, after all, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they, they buried the Lord. I'm, I'm positive that they anointed his body. So why, why did they want to do that again? And the only answer I've been able to come up with is this. They all got together and said, you know, men can't do anything right. <laughs> I don't know any other reason. Now, I don't know if that's, that's not very theological, okay, but, but I, anyway, they're going to the tomb. And, and by the way, as, as they're going, they got a big problem. Who's going to roll away that big stone? And uh, that was a big problem for them. They got to the tomb. Guess what? The stone had been rolled away. And it wasn't rolled away so he could get out. I mean, he could have walked through that stone. He walked through the door. It was rolled away so we could see inside that it was empty. He's not here. And they heard the angel. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. Go see the place where he lay. And then he said, and by the way, go tell his disciples to meet him at Galilee. And so they're rushing on their way, and all of a sudden they meet Jesus. And he said, fear not, and so forth. And then he said, tell my brethren, same page of disciples, to meet me at Galilee. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, some wonderful things happened. He met them at Galilee. Disciples came and met him at Galilee. And he said unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And by the way, if verse 19 was not there, verse 20 and 20, 21 would be a literal impossibility. All power, power over demons, power over nature, power over disease, all power is given to me. And then he said, since all power is given unto me, go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. God's amazing grace and God's amazing plan. A lot of times I meet people and they say, biggest problem I've got is I don't understand the Bible. Let's see if you can misunderstand Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's not a word in there that's difficult to understand. I think it was Mark Twain that said, it's not what I don't understand that bothers me. It's what I understand and I'm not obeying. God said to his disciples, and by the way, members of First Baptist Church, 
members of Bible-believing, independent Baptist church all over America. It is our job as disciples, and it is just as important that we obey him as it was those first generation of Christians. Amen. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, just before he died, or, or just before he ascended back up to heaven, he was meeting with his disciples again. And they wanted to have a prophecy conference. Now tell us when you're going to restore the kingdom. He said, no, 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 we're not going to have a prophecy conference. Let's have a missionary conference. And he said, hey, it's not for you to know. You know, you don't know when he's coming and so forth. Now, it's all right. Study about prophecy. Study about his coming and so forth. But you don't know when he's coming, and I don't either. Somebody says they do. They're lying. Amen. But then he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses in me, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and he ascended up to heaven. The amazing plan of God. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For this is good and acceptable in sight of God our Father, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of God. For there is one God and one mediator, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all, listen to it, to be testified in due time. Hey, could I emphasize, it's time, it's time that we testify this to the world. God's amazing plan. One other simple thing. Our amazing responsibility and our amazing opportunity. He's talking to us. Go ye. And it doesn't matter who you are tonight. That's you. You're listening online. You'll hear this message some other way. He's talking about you if you're saved. If you're saved. Our amazing opportunity. We have more open doors today than any other generation of Christians has ever had. We as Baptists have more trained laborers than at any other time in the history of Christianity. Now, that's a fact. You think of all the graduates of all the good Bible schools through the years. We have more technology. You think about it. People are hearing me, and here I am in Hammond, Indiana. People are hearing me in Japan and Korea and the Philippines and Taiwan. We have more technology. We have more generation, we have more money than any other generation of Christians has ever had. What an opportunity. What a responsibility. Right. By the way, 
We have more people to preach to than any other generation of Christians has ever had. You remember what Jesus said when he saw the multitudes? And by the way, when Jesus walked on the face of the earth, there were only 250 million people in the whole world. Think about tonight. November the 15th, last year, the world's population reached one billion people. I, I, I'm sorry, eight billion people. More people. Now think about it. We got more money. We got more trained leaders. We got more te technology. We got more open doors. What, what's the problem? Why are we not doing it? Jesus said it. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. That he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest. That he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Did you notice the words from Jim Elliot a few minutes ago? Those words were not written by somebody that had been in the ministry many, many years. Those words were written while Jim Elliott was a student at Wheaton College. Think about this young man. The spiritual insight that he had. Everybody in the world would have liked Jim Elliott to come and been on their staff. He would have been a great youth leader. He would have been a great preacher. But no, there was a group of Indians that have never heard. And he gave his life trying to reach them. And I remember when the news came back that he and his four partners had all been martyred on the beach. People thought, what a waste. What a waste. But it wasn't a waste. Because of the testimony, because of the ministry of his, their wives and children and so forth, literally hundreds of thousands of people have gone to the mission fields all around the world. When they talked about the death of Jim Elliott in Wheaton, one man said, Jim Elliott didn't die on that beach. He said, one night, he and I went to a little Baptist church in Wheaton, Illinois. And that night, Jim Elliott died to himself. Committed his life wholeheartedly to the Lord. And he said, and you only die one time. Let me close with three questions. What are you doing? Take it personal. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter whether you have money or don't have. No. Take it personal. What are you doing? 
in order to reach the 8 billion people living on planet Earth today? Second question. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? Would you be really able to say tonight, Dear God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll be anything you want me to be. I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll give anything you want me to give. What are you doing? Are you witnessing? Ladies, you have some tracks in your pocket pocketbook tonight? Men, you have some tracks in your coat pocket, your shirt pocket? I got a good friend. I can't remember his name. But he's famous for saying this. People who have tracks give out tracks. You know the fellow's name of you. <laughs> I've heard him say that time after time. By the way, I got my tracks, amen. I, 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 if I don't have them. What are you doing? Are you witnessing where you're at? On the job? At school? Wherever you're at? Are you witnessing? What are you doing? What are you willing to do? Are you praying? Think about it. Every born-again child of God has the privilege of going to the throne of grace we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all manner tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find help in a time of need. Are you praying? Are you witnessing? Are you giving? The Bible says it very plainly. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl ought to give something to mission. And by the way, once you begin to give, you ought to increase every year. I've done that for well over 58 years. What are you doing? What are you willing to do? Last question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The world is lost and dying and going to hell. What are you waiting for to get totally involved in world evangelization? Giving of your tithe. Giving of your faith promise. Witnessing. Pray. Everybody, everybody can do something. God's amazing grace. Aren't you glad for it? God's amazing plan. The plan to reach the world. It's just simple. It's in the Bible. Then our amazing responsibility and our amazing opportunity. I used to say, hey folks, if we don't do it, nobody will. That's not right. God is going to have somebody. 
And God is giving us tonight the opportunity to do it. 